2021 has been a roller coaster of a year for the whole world, and the media industry is no exception. Yet amid all this uncertainty, at the DPP leaders' briefing in November, senior executives from 31 major media companies laid out with remarkable clarity their priorities for the year ahead. So on today's DPP podcast, enabled by member company Delette, I'm joined by great minds from both the content provider and the technology vendor communities to reflect on what we heard at the briefing and what it will mean for us all as we enter 2022. Welcome to episode nine of the DPP podcast. I'm Rowan de Pomeroy, the CTO here at the DPP. And today I'm going to be joined by our new editorial director, Edward Qualtro, and by Ewan Johnston of Delette. But first of all, I caught up with Zoe Carter, who's Director of Business Transformation for Content Supply and Distribution at ITV. So Zoe, memorably, you spoke uh, at the Leaders Briefing this year about feeling uncomfortable. That was one of your points. So uh, as we come towards the end of the year, how how comfortable or otherwise are you feeling? <laughs> um, yes, I think it's my new my new favourite phase a, a phrase, uh, feeling uncomfortable. Uh, and I'd say that you know I I uh, I continue to feel uh, very uncomfortable as. Um, we go through this journey of transformation within the workforce. So I think to give a bit of context about that, um, and I'm, I referenced it when I spoke at the DPP event as well, but you know, Helen Stevens talked in 2020 about taking a service di- design approach to looking at how potentially we work differently as a business um, and, and to make us more fit for purpose and starting from a blank piece of paper. But what this has really been about for us has been about applying the methodologies of agile working and service design thinking, but not from a technical product perspective, but more from a business corporation perspective. And that's about getting people together in a forum that we're not used to. Um, So it's not so much around having the structure of a particular topic and an agenda item as we would in a traditional meeting, coming up with lots of uh, questions, having a good discussion, and then going off and sort of working away to create a solution. It's about going through that solution design together and trying to work out what it is that we as a business need to do or change uh, or think differently about in order to sort of address the address the challenges that we uh, are faced with or the problem statements that we have identified, uh, which is is quite a big. Uh, quite a big focus for us at the moment. And, you know, why wh- I refer to it as feeling uncomfortable is historically, I, I would say, you know, people have, have sort of come to problems with this is what I do within my piece of the pie. Um, and in a sense, people can be quite protective about that and they know their area very well. But then they sort of hand that off to the next person to talk about what they do. But when you bring people together to sort of, and you throw all of that out of the window, it, it can get a bit uncomfortable because people can feel unsure. They can feel a bit threatened. Um, we don't know the answers as well, and that can make people feel uncomfortable. But by sort of persevering through the process and having the really open conversations, the result of that, I think, is a really collaborative way of working. Mm-hmm. And um, what I've seen through us taking this approach is the level of conversations that we're having as an organization are far richer and far more 
collaborative and engaged than anything I've ever seen before. You know, we've got commissioning, we've got our distribution, we've got our on-demand, we've got our technology, we've got our operational parts of the business talking together about things that we want to fix. And we're not just coming from it from a, well, we need to build a piece of tech to fix it, but it's how do we change the processes? How do we look at things differently? How do we bring uh, everything to life in front of the consumers right from the start of the journey through to the end. Um, and it's just much richer and more powerful. So how do you go about actually building that? You know, to what extent has this been about your organizational design, your, you know, your workplace design, your working practices? Because you're talking about working in quite a different way, right? Yeah. Um, so we, I mean, we've, we've done it as a, as a specific piece of work, as a transformation piece of work. Um, looking at our supply chain because ways of working like this do exist within the organization. I mean, it's a big company, but, you know, we've really um, focused dedicated resource to learning and mm. um, trialing those ways of working. And I would say it's very much, um, it's a journey. It's not an easy journey either, right? Because it, you're learning a different way of working and, uh, you know, it's very easy to fall back for me personally, the way that I've always worked throughout my career. And this is, you know, this is trying to use a different approach or a different methodology or a different type of tool or have a different type of discussion. And yeah. um, that can be quite hard when you're not used to doing it. But but I think the other thing I'd say about this, Ronan, is it's so important from how we reskill the workplace as well. So mm. everyone talks about you know, we've got shortage in the workforce. We know that there's skill shortage. We can't recruit fast enough. We can't recruit some of the skills that we need. But we also know that, you know, what we're asking of the workforce is different. The world has changed. How the consumers watch has changed. Everything has changed in a very, very short period of time. And this is about, I think, retraining people within the organization, uh, to, to work differently and, and, and to think differently as well. And I think it's a really, it's a really important piece for us to do is sort of reskill, uh, and retrain ourselves in how we come to the, come to tackle problems that we would come and come to with a more traditional method in the past. Mm. I mean, that's really good to hear. Um, when, when you're talking about that, that reskilling, that retraining, Again, I'm kind of interested to unpack what goes into that. Is that about the you know the technical skills that you need? Is that about the ways of working? Is that about the focus on consumer experience in a way that maybe was different uh, to to what we, we we used to have in broadcast? I, I think there are multiple streams to it. I mean, there's a technical perspective of it and this digital capability. Uh, there's ways of working and and the methods that we're using from a practical sense. And then there's um, you know the consumer needs and how we're meeting those needs and Mm. I think it, it sounds odd because, you know, television is at the heart of what we do. You know, everyone in, in ITV works to make amazing content show on television. Um, yeah. But it's that sort of shift around how the viewer now consumes their content and how do you really maximize that window to your audience, basically? And what do you need to really make your content stand out and discoverable? Um, and, uh, you know, there are, there are various streams in that, but it is thinking about how, how do we do more with less? So in the sense that you're not sort of breaking people by the manual processes that you've got to put them through in order to serve the new demands and the pace at which we need to move. There's, you know, how do we work with tech as an enabler to achieve what we want to do and not, and not look at 
tech as something that is going to deliver us a finished product that we then work with, but you're mm-hmm. going on a journey together to build and design things together to help you achieve what you're trying to achieve. And then I think there's a really important piece that, we, you know, is a popular piece, a, a popular theme that a lot of people are talking about, and that is um, data literacy. You know, yeah. there is no doubt that being able to understand the data that we have, what it's telling us and what we're going to then do with it or how we interpret it, all the type of data that we need to capture is a really, really big piece of work. And I'd say that sort of sits outside of what I've been focusing on, but is another stream that we have going on within the organisation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. That data point has been a huge theme this year and I'm, I'm sure we'll continue into next year. Now, you mentioned a couple of times learning. So I'm, I'm interested to know, what did you learn from your peers? You know, what, what did you take away from Leaders Briefing, sort of outside of what, what you spoke about? You know, were, were there particular points that, that really resonated with you or, or things that, that other people said that made you reflect on your own challenges? Yeah, I think there were, absolutely, there were, there were a couple of probably key things that, you know, really, really resonated with me. And I think the first one is, the journey of transformation that we are going on at ITV, it was quite nice to hear other people are going through the same journey and <laughs> facing the same problems. Um, that was actually really reassuring. And all the problems and the challenges that we sort of face or the questions we're asking ourselves, it feels that everyone else is doing the same thing. And so that was yeah. actually very reassuring and quite comforting. Um, and I think the other, the other big one is around the work the workplace and the well-being of our people, um, mm. you know, that, that was quite a big takeaway for me. I mean, I think it ties very closely into transforming the work, the workforce and, and the skills we have. But, you know, we're in a world whereby we've been remote working now for nearly two years. Um, you know, we're, we've now entered yet another time of don't go into the office unless you really have to so when we thought we're about to start returning and how do we start to attract people back that's sort of shut down again and probably will be um at least for the first month in the new year but it's how do we find how do we find the balance but also how do you create that culture um that people were able to create by being together in an Mm. office you know there's something that's at the heart of a company and that is built up from you know when new people join they learn that they get that from the people that they're around and you can't translate that over zoom there's no question about it um and so how do you really, I think, you know, from a well-being perspective, there are the aspects around how how much time people are spending in front of the computer, making sure people take regular breaks. But also when we do start, you know, being allowed to go back into the office from a government perspective, it's, it's how do you entice people back? Because, you know, we get into the habit, we get into a habit of, of it's easier just to stay in front of my computer than to spend the time commuting because I could do another meeting or I could do a piece of work. But the energy and I think the recharge that you get from going into a different environment and being able to have conversations face-to-face with people are so much richer than what you're able to get on Zoom. Um, But you need to create an environment where people want to come back in. And I think as I I described it, you know, coming into the workplace has to be an event. It has to be something that you're looking forward to. Um, you know, you're collaborating on things, but it has to be in an environment whereby in a world of hybrid working, there's a really good balance for the people that are physically there as well as the people that aren't there. Um, because 
I think we have to be really mindful as well that the people that do return to the office more regularly over the coming months versus the ones that are more cautious or more hesitant or, or, or have chosen that that's not what they want to do, you don't create this divide and people are disconnected, the ones that are remote and the ones that are coming into the office. Um, and I think it's really important just to sort of monitor I think the hours that people are working as well mm. in this environment. Strange, isn't it? We came into 2021 thinking that that was the challenge for the year ahead. And, and it's a little bit deja vu going into 2022, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's frightening. But I mean, I have to say it feels slightly better than it did going into 2021. Mm. Um, but yes. It is a bit deja vu, absolutely. Great stuff. Well, thank you, Zoe, for for those reflections. Uh, Really, really great to hear your perspective. And uh, I'm I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more from you in the coming year. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Ron, and uh, have a very good Christmas. And next up, I'm talking to Ewan Johnston, who is Director of Strategic Alliances and Partners at Delette. Uh, lovely to be here with you, uh, Ewan. So tell me, what, what did you think about the Leaders Briefing? Was this, was this your first uh, of these events? Yes, uh, Rowan, this is the first of these events uh, that I've actually attended uh, since I joined Delette uh, back in the summer. So the, the, the first takeaway I had from it is, it, it, you know, it is literally the first three-dimensional meeting that I have had with people uh, actually <laughs> in that sort of setting. And I think the industry as a whole, we were very happy to uh, to be there. Absolutely. Uh, the, the second piece, and this is kudos to, uh, to, to DPP, I, I thought the event had a lot of excellent content uh, and some very high-quality uh, attendees uh, there. So we had some very good conversations with people uh, about their current plans and about the plans that they have uh, for the future. So uh, for us, very successful uh, and useful event. Good to hear. And uh, among those speakers, um, you know, there were there were some pretty big themes that came out. Um, I know one of them uh, that's quite important to you was around around workforce transformation. So, uh, you know, what what are your reflections on on what you heard from from the media companies that were speaking? Well, it was it was interesting. I uh, I think back in 2020, none of us kind of anticipated what was going to happen, but but almost nobody talked about anything other than remote working for that initial period. Uh, and it's kind of interesting to see in the speakers how the remote working theme has sort of dropped, but it's almost the consequences now of remote working uh, that we are, and, and we're all dealing with. So yeah. uh, as a as a company, we're dealing with our own remote workforce, uh, making sure that we engage, that we recruit, uh, and that we keep that uh, core competencies within the, the company when none of us are coming to the offices anymore. So a lot of the things they were talking about, we see in our own business. So I'm interested to know how much of a change this has been for an organization like Delette, because you know, you've got salespeople who are on the road and professional services people who are on the road, at least normally, um, and, and you know, development teams in different locations. It strikes me that in many ways, the vendor community is, is often more distributed to start with. Is that fair to say? Yes, I think it is fair to say that we've deal, been dealing with some of these issues because we are a global organization uh, and clearly our teams span the globe and, and we have uh, points of presence uh, in different locations. But I think there was still that uh, cohesion of people 
at some point being in the office or being with colleagues or being together right. uh, physically. Uh, and that's the piece that it's, uh, I think, harder to replace. Okay, that's really interesting. Um, but if we if we move beyond the remote working piece, there were some pretty strong messages about the way that customers want you to work with your partners and, and other vendors in the market, weren't there? Well, a few of the speakers, uh, uh, particularly, I think, uh, Sinead Greenway from uh, the BBC, kind of encapsulated this uh, quite well, I think, is that, you know, our, our customers are looking for solutions that are truly interoperable uh, with each other. And as a vendor, it, it, it's a key part of my role uh, is to actually work on the relationships that Delight have with other people in the vendor community who sometimes compete with us, sometimes cooperate with us, but we all have to recognize that the ecosystem that we are uh, delivering solutions into will have a variety of different components in it uh, mm. and being able to plug into those and interoperate effectively is what our customers are, are looking for. And we can see that growing as people move to the more microservice and cloud-based architectures. This is a this is a hot topic on my mind at the moment, Ewan, as, as we go into next year and a, a piece of work on software integration that, that the DPP is planning. So so let me ask you a, a preliminary question on this. What what do we need to make that world easier? You know, is there a is there a requirement for more standardization in this space? Is sort of one-to-one um, partnerships between vendors are a good model? Do, do customers need to become their own software integrators? What, what do you think? I think the, the, the answer is probably all all of the above. Uh, to, to be <laughs> honest, I know that's not a particularly definitive answer, but yes, there is always, at, at key interface points, there is always a benefit for uh, standardization and for there to be some common minimum standards that, that we as vendors can all work to. Uh, mm. Beyond that, there is always going to be extensions. So that, that I think, has been the challenge with standards uh, across the board is, is once you have a standard, everybody then wants to extend beyond it because they want to innovate and add more value. Yep. So those extensions are where the one-to-one vendor relationships uh, will come in. And I think as a vendor community, we have to make that easier for our customers. We, we, uh, I don't believe that most media organizations want to become software development houses managing interfaces between a, a group of vendors. I think that onus is more on the vendor community and our system integration partners uh, to be able to deliver those to the customer. Yeah, so some big challenges for you and your partners to work on there. Tell me what else struck you, uh, you know, in terms of hearing from this big range of customers. What else stood out? Well, I think for for me, part of it was uh, very helpfully reinforcing some of the areas and trends that, that we have seen mm. and that we're adapting our business uh, to deal with. Uh, and, you know, there, there were quite a few of the speakers talked about technology transformation, business transformation, and, and how those two are now so closely aligned and and that's very typical of what we've seen in in almost every other industry where that technology innovation 
uh, helps to fuel business transformation and business innovation. So uh, the two are, are are very closely linked. And you know, a couple of the speakers in in, in particular, uh, I think, dovetailed very well with what what we see our customers demand in terms of being able to make better use of their data, better use of their content. Particularly Anshul from uh, from Google specifically was talking about the ability to scale blo- globally, being able to use the data more efficiently and to be able to use that to engage more directly with their customers. And all of those things, you know, fall very much into the areas that we see our customers demanding of us today. Really interesting to hear. And, and are there are there key trends that you see in terms of sort of technology development for next year? Are there areas that you're focusing on? Yes, I think there's been a, a, a few a few key themes, and it you know realistically it hasn't just been this year. Uh, we started this process uh, probably a couple of years ago, uh, as we realised that the move to the cloud was going to happen, albeit some of it has happened perhaps more rapidly than than anticipated. And for us, the move to the cloud was not just taking our uh, on-prem system and moving into the cloud. We realised that to support the business innovation and the requirements of our customers, uh, we needed a new approach and a new architecture. Uh, And although we're building on our 30 years experience in news and media management, We've actually started and, and built from the ground up true cloud native platforms, uh, which will allow our customers to take advantage uh, of the benefits of, uh, of some of these migrations. And what do you think is going to be different in, in the newsroom of, of two or three years time? I know a couple of our speakers specifically mentioned sort of news production and it's an area you work in. So, so I'm interested in you, if you have a perspective on that. Yeah, so our, our, our news production and the theme underlying our new uh, newsroom applications is the story is now the center. So, you know, people have moved away from the, the newsroom, the infrastructure where the data was held, that, that's that's the older model. People are looking at going, I, I have a story. Uh, how do I collaborate in this story? How do I work on this with a workforce which is now uh, remote? How do I effectively get to my digital channels, my linear channels, uh, and to have a system that allows you to plan and manage that all within a single uh, environment uh, is definitely where we see the newsroom of the future. Fantastic. What, what a great way to sort of bring together those those themes. Well, look, thanks so much, Ewan, for, for your thoughts. Uh, really great chatting to you. And uh, well, perhaps we'll be back to talk more when, uh, when we look into tomorrow's news as one of our DPP Insight projects for next year. And finally, I'm here with Edward Qualtro, who is the DPP's new editorial director. Now, Edward, the leaders' briefing began on uh, day three of your time with the DPP, didn't it? So uh, quite the baptism of fire. Um, how, how did you find it? What, what have you taken away from it? Yeah, that's right. So I started on Monday the 15th of November and day three uh, was the leaders' briefing. And you and Mark and our lovely colleagues kindly invited me up on stage. And I thought the the event was absolutely fantastic for a few reasons. One, 
to see my new colleagues in action was obviously brilliant, but to see the, the, the group and the network come together as a community, I suppose, of providers, broadcasters, suppliers, and my my background, as you sort of mentioned, is is journalism. So I used to sort of schmooze and hobnob with CIOs and CTOs from from different uh, sectors. Some in some in broadcast and media. And I think one narrative th- that would sort of define my time in that world was there was a little bit of tension between those those worlds, the buyers and the providers, essentially the, the CIOs and the suppliers. And to see. Uh, such open dialogue between the groups and a little bit of nudging as well. I think we'll get onto that uh, later in the conversation, maybe. But it, it was really good to see those groups come together and try and solve and tackle some of the some of the sector's biggest challenges, the biggest disruptive threats, um, and how they deliver better products for customers ultimately. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a real strength of of the industry as a whole, and, and obviously of the DPP community that uh, that the people are. Uh, willing to have those open open conversations. Um, so, so in terms of what you heard, you know what what were the the key kind of takeaways for you? There's there's a couple of points that I think you you really called out on the day. That's right. So you kindly invited me up on the first morning, and we did a little sort of forward, a little preface, a preamble, almost um, referencing a different study which would looked at the challenges of, of of tech leaders across across industry, and one of the uh, to vastly oversimplify the findings, I guess, was that they were much more defined by um, people and process and culture uh, than they were by necessarily technology transformation. Um, and I think that's something that came out over the two days as well. Uh, and it came out in the report, which is obviously now published, that uh, more than half of the speakers uh, spoke about their workforce. Mm. But one thing I think I, I, I mentioned at the end when we did our very brief um, summary of what happened was I think those those issues of people but technology transformation is just so inextricably linked now. And I think the leaders know, they've probably always known, that to, to deliver the initiatives that they uh, need for their businesses, that there's a whole new series of skills, of technologies that need to be mastered. Um, of ways of working that have been either affected by the outside world or or sort of changing anyway. Mm. So it was really interesting to hear, yeah, hear the hear the anecdotal versions that that shared by so many different uh, organisations and and how they're overcoming some of those as well. And then, do you see any difference in in what you've heard, you know, either in the briefing or in our earlier interviews on on this podcast, compared to sort of what you've seen? working with those in other industries? Do you think the approaches that, that organizations and media are taking are any different? I think that media and broadcast uh, organizations as probably being more susceptible and disrupted by other sectors who are a bit uh, slightly more early adopters mm. than, than some others. It's, it's much harder to uh, disrupt a mining company than it is to get some, you know, VC backing and set up a content company. Everyone can become a content provider quite quick, quite quickly now. Um, so it's interesting to see that. I, I think I don't know if progressive is the right word, but early adopters willing to test and try things. And I think a lot of that is because a lot of organisations have been forced to. Um, the, the consumer habits have changed so quickly. Yeah, and. Uh, 
broadcasters and content providers have had to keep up and that there's so much amazing innovation that's happened um that it's it's a it's a fascinating world to have come you know a bit deeper into from being a sort of a generalist previously and i'm still one but i hope to learn as much as possible well so i think that's a great last question to ask you then so you're you're a little over a month in uh you've been immersed pretty deeply um you've you've learned a lot about a lot of different topics in in media i'm sure so what are you looking forward to most for next year what 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 out of the uh the bits of word that the dpp has upcoming or the conversations you've had do you think is is really going to be exciting in 2022 well i think the making software integration work piece is going to be fascinating especially after the um provocation by a few people at the leaders briefing Hmm. which was a nice gentle nudge to the uh, sort of media supply chain of, of what the broadcasters and the customers want, which is essentially modular, best of breed products, um, the building blocks that can stitch together um, and leave it to the uh, the end users themselves, I suppose, to, to in- innovate at the customer side um, with, with key partners and de- develop deep partnerships. Um, we've got a research piece coming up about the tomorrow's news and newsroom and, and what that looks like. And I'm really interested to see both the broadcaster and content provider perspective, but I'm interested to know what the almost the um, the editorial perspective will be as well. So we had um, Peter Clifton from PA at the leaders briefing talking about automation and robots and that sort of thing. And I think we we would be remiss to not include um, the editorial side. Obviously, I might have a bit of of, of bias there. And, <laughs> and that's I think that related to almost to something it's tangential, but I'm going to relate it anyway. I don't know how clumsy it will sound with, with something Zoe just, just spoke about, which I think was really interesting, which is some of these concepts in technology or digital or IT or however we want to call it, really radiating outside of the department. She was talking about mm-hmm. um, design thinking and agile and, and uh, other parts of ITV um, behaving in a different way. Um, based on you know how they manage projects and workflows and that sort of thing, and I think that's I think that's fascinating. I think there are lots of businesses looking to their technology functions for ideas for how how to behave and deliver in a different way. Well, there is a lot to look forward to there. Thank you so much, Edward. I'm looking forward to working on a number of those pieces myself, and and uh, I know you and Mark will be too. Um, so much more to come from the DPP in 2022, including, of course, more on this podcast. We'll be back in the new year. But for now, thanks very much for joining us. Bye-bye.